titled the message this morning, Hearing the Word, Trusting the Savior. And I think you'll see kind of how I got to those two sentences uh, in one title as we move forward here. So uh, this week as I was going through chapter 8, I was initially pretty certain that there are two distinct and somewhat unrelated halves to this chapter. And so initially I was thinking, all right, which half will I focus in on for the sermon? And I started working that way. And then I was like, boy, I really like both halves. I don't want to miss one or the other. And so I thought, I might do something I've never done before. I'm, maybe I'll preach two short sermons in one <laughs> message. I seriously considered doing that. Um, but the more I spent time just meditating on the text this week, the more the Lord began to sort of bring those two halves together in my mind, which I think is a great reminder to us and an encouragement. Keep pouring over the word. Keep pouring over the word because, and meditate on it because you, you know, the connections that God makes as we do that are, are remarkable. So many things that we may miss on first pass, but um, they came together for me. So uh, you're going to get one sermon this morning, but that said, it's still, I've still, uh, there are two halves to the chapter and we're going we're gonna to look at them uh, first and, and talk about those two halves and what they mean. And then I'll, as we move forward, I, I think by the time we get to the end, uh, I, I'll be able to pull them together for you. But here's the, here's the main takeaway. And Zoe, here's where you can throw up that first slide. All right, the main takeaway from all of this is this wonderful, beautiful truth. Salvation is a wonderful mystery of grace. That's what God has just been warming my heart to all week. Our salvation is a wonderful mystery of grace. The two-sentence title, the first half of the passage here could be titled, Hearing the Word. Hearing the Word. And it will cover verses 4 through 21. And the focus on this half of the chapter will be the difference between merely hearing the Word of God and really hearing the Word of God. Merely hearing it and really hearing it. And the key verse, the key sentence in that text is in verse 8, where Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The second half of the chapter could be titled, Trusting the Savior. And that's going to cover verses 22 through 56. And the focus on this half of the chapter is to understand the meaning of faith. The meaning of faith. What is it? And specifically, what role does faith play in our salvation? And the key sentences, the key verses, I think, in this half of the chapter are verses 48 and 50, where Jesus says, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And then, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Hearing the word, trusting the Savior. Both halves of the chapter highlight the contrast between those who truly belong 
to the Lord and those who don't. Those who are true disciples of Jesus, belonging to the kingdom of God, and those who are not, even though they may think that they are. Okay? Again, main takeaway, salvation is a wonderful mystery of grace. So with that said, let me pray, and we'll read it. Father, I pray that you would meet us here as we open up Luke chapter 8. Lord, may your spirit impress upon us what you're saying. And Lord, may we have ears to hear and may we have faith to believe. Lord, work amongst your people to bring us to a point of worship and praise and thanksgiving. And Lord, maybe if there are unbelievers in this room, Lord, help them to have ears to hear. Thank you for the wonderful mystery of your grace in our salvation. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Part one. Zoe. Hearing the word. All right. Verse four. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, these are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. 
And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. That's the first half. Now, did you notice what each of these three sections, the parable of the soil, the parable of the lampstand, and the reference here to Jesus' mother and brothers, do you notice what they have in common? They seem a little bit unrelated, right? Three different kind of scenes, but they all include a statement from Jesus about taking care to hear the word of God. But not only to hear it, again, to really hear it. To really hear it in such a way that the hearing evokes a response in the life of the listener that bears fruit. Hear and do. So how does this hearing and responding work? To understand this, we need to look again at the explanation of the parable that Jesus gives in verse 9 to 15. I think that's a, obviously a central part of this half of the chapter. And if we look there, we see in verse 11, he begins to explain that the seed is the word of God, right? So presumably, this word is initially evangelistic in nature. People hear it, and they, they either reject it, or they, they're choked out, or they respond, and it bears fruit. It's evangelistic in nature, but I think he also has in mind here the whole counsel of God, all of Scripture, through all of the life of the believer, because he talks about it bearing fruit, right? not just initial belief, but, but a bearing of fruit and an increase of that fruit. In verse 21, he says his family is made up of those who both hear and also do, right, the word of God. So in other words, what he's saying here is true repentance and faith is evidenced by a life that is changed and subsequently and lastingly is obedient to the word of God. Now, he doesn't explain who the sower is in Luke's account. But if we look to the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 13, we, we see there that Jesus identifies himself as the sower of the seed. And in Luke 9, the next chapter, which we'll get to next week, we'll see that he also sends out his disciples to sow this seed going forward. But it should be understood that God is always the initial sower. He's the sower. He brings the seed, and then he, he sends out those who are given his seed, his word, to go forward. We also see in the parable that the seed is scattered broadly, right? Sort of thrown here and there. Now, if you grew up on a farm, I don't know how many of you did. I know sometimes we get folks in here from like Iowa or places like that. You might hear that and think, this sounds like a really inefficient way to plant seeds, just throwing seeds out, right? But in Israel, this is how it was and still is actually commonly done. Because of the various soil types in that region, that's what they would do. They, they, they just throw seed out. You can't always tell the difference between fertile soil and rocky soil just by looking at it. Those rocks will lie underneath the soil. It all looks maybe the same on top. But you don't really know, so you just throw the seed everywhere, and it takes root wherever it takes root. It takes root where there is fertile soil. And I think the point then is that the word is preached to many. The word is preached to many. And some will receive it, 
And many others will not. Many others will not. Those who do not receive it, of course, are represented by the first three soil types. We see here the disinterested, the uncommitted, and the distracted. The stone falls on hard path and immediately is snatched up, uninterested. Or the stone is, or the seed is thrown on the, 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 the rocky soil, right? The stone. And there's a, there appears to be a response, but there's no root. There's no moisture. The uncommitted. It just kind of looks, looks like something goes away. And then the distracted, right? Those who who again seem to receive the word with joy, but when, when the cares and the trials of life hit, they fall away. So Jesus talks about these three soil types. Their hearts are either hard or they don't respond at all, or they're shallow and they respond initially but fall away, or they're choked out by the cares and pleasures of life. Either way, these are people whose lives ultimately do not produce fruit and cannot therefore be counted as true disciples of Christ. That's, that's the idea. That's the point. And we all know many people like this, don't we? Unfortunately. And it's also probably fair, though sad to say, that some of us in this room will prove to be among them. I don't have a lot of time to dive into that as an application, but, but I, I want to just encourage you, read this throughout the week. Just read it, meditate on it, prayerfully consider it. What is Jesus saying? How, where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself? Trust the Holy Spirit will, will reveal that to you. Remember, Jesus has made it a point here already throughout Luke to disrupt the religious status quo in Israel. The religious status quo always needs to be disrupted. It's, it's always easy to think we belong because of religious exercise or you know, church attendance or whatever it may be. But he's always disrupting that. Not everyone who thinks they belong to God's people really do. We've seen that truth in Luke already in chapter 3. Remember, John the Baptist says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, right? That we don't, don't just claim your religious attachment because you're Jewish. Or we might say today, don't just claim religious attachment because you grew up in a, in a Christian church. Don't just say we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Not everyone who thinks they belong really belongs. It's only the fourth soil type, clearly the minority, who respond fruitfully to the word. And I want you to notice that he, he gives these two descriptive phrases to describe people who are that fourth soil type. They, one, hold it fast. They hold fast to the word. And two, they bear fruit with patience. Holding fast 
with patience. The mark of a true disciple of Christ is someone who demonstrates a long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. They persevere to the end. So he's making this distinction, this contrast. This is, this is what a person who, who merely hears looks like. This is what a person who really hears looks like. So the, the big question we should be asking at this point is, how do we get these ears to hear? Right? How do I know that that's me? How do I hear in this true way? And the answer that Jesus gives is fundamental to our understanding of the passage. And it may surprise you. Look at verse 9. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. He's quoting here from Isaiah 6, which Andy read at the beginning of the service. It's an interesting passage, right? Because you're very familiar with the passage. Isaiah is, is, is in the throne room of God, and he sees the, the, the cherubim and the seraphim flying, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? And, and Isaiah says, woe is me. We, we know this text well. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and, and his lips are touched by the burning coals. He's purified. And he says, Lord, send me, send me. You get this this picture that he's going to go out and just have this booming evangelistic ministry, right? But what does God say to him? He says, go and speak to the people who aren't going to hear. Who are going to have dull understanding. And so Jesus is quoting that here. To you, those who hear, It's been given to you. It's been granted to you to understand the secrets of the kingdom. To the rest, it's... Hearing ears are a gift from God. How do we get these ears? They are a gift from God. You could read this passage and be tempted to think that the hearing... And the responsibility to to hear and really hear is something that's up to you. That you could say, well, if if, if I'm seeing evidence of of fruit in my life, it must be because I listened really well. I responded in a way that other people didn't respond because I'm a good listener. And I'm a good responder. But Jesus' words here are clear. No, it's a gift. Gift. We hear, we believe, and we grow as Christians because God gives us ears to hear. And He gives us new hearts to grow. He gives that. I'm going to put Ezekiel 36 up on the screen. Look at it. This is the word of God. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. These are those who who really hear. I will give you that new heart. I will put my spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's a gift. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is reminding the people of this as well. He says, look, I planted. God sent me out as a seed scatterer. I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It's a gift. Now, if the, if the next question on our minds is, does that make God unfair if he doesn't give that gift to everyone? Luke doesn't answer that here, but the Bible does. And Sophia read it for us earlier as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll put this back up on the screen as well. If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. As those who are apart from Christ, we're under the domain of darkness. And it is the devil who is at work in part to keep us from seeing and hearing that word. That's one thing that we're told. And yet Jesus also holds us individually accountable for our unbelief. Back in Luke chapter 6, I'll put this back on the screen too. Remember where he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? He's not blaming the devil here, right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? The one who hears my words and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Who built that house? The unbeliever did. Why does God grant the gift of truly hearing and responding to some and not others? Listen, it is a mystery of grace. Nobody given that gift deserves that gift any more than someone who's not given that gift. It is a mystery of grace. Grace, God's favor to the undeserving. Our salvation is all God's grace. And you can know that you're the recipient of this grace by then observing evidence of that fruit and that growth occurring in your life. Our new hearts that were given by God produce an obedience that endures. The text doesn't say our obedience is perfect. Whose ever is, right? But it endures. It holds fast. It perseveres with patience. He keeps us to the end. These are the marks of the true disciples of Christ. And that's the message of the first half of chapter 8. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's look at the second half of the chapter. Again, I'm calling this one Trusting the Savior. I'm going to read verses 20 through, through 56. This is a little bit longer section. Please follow along. What I want you to do while I'm reading through it is I want you to listen 
for two words or two concepts, all right? The concepts are faith and fear. Look for fear, being afraid, anything like that, and look for faith, all right? Verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased. And there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. They were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And when Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, 
for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child, and all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat, and her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Long section of scripture to read. And again, different scenes right? Different scenes. But I want you to focus in again on where you saw the references to fear and where you saw references to faith. Let's talk about faith. I just want to focus briefly on this. Faith and fear. What did you see in the text about faith? There's, there's two really explicit examples. The first one was in the boat, and sort of a negative example, right? The disciples are they're freaking out. They're panicking because they think they're going to die in this big storm as the, the storm rages on and blows their boat around and, and they cry out to Jesus, save us, right? And what does he say? He says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? The second example that's explicit here is the positive example of the bleeding woman who touches his, his garment, right? She shouldn't have been near anyone to do that. She was considered unclean, ceremonial unclean. For her to touch Jesus would be to make him unclean. I mean, this was taboo, what she did. But she believes that just touching can help. And of course, Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Positive example of faith. So what does that tell us about faith? What is faith? I think sometimes when we hear that we're saved by faith, that we come to Jesus in faith, we can, we can believe somehow that, that our faith saving us means that our faith is some kind of work that we've done. But we're told that in Scripture, we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith and grace alone. What is faith? I think looking at these examples, it helps us understand the simplicity of faith. And again, this points to this, this main idea of the, the, the wonderful mystery of grace in our salvation. I brought this stool up here to give an example. 
probably not the best example, but it's the best I can do on short notice on a stage up here. Right? If I look at that stool, that stool represents something. It represents a promise to hold me up. Right? If I go to sit on that stool, I am trusting that this stool is, is going to do something. It's going to save me, if you will, from falling on my bottom on the ground. It's going to hold all my weight. When I sit on this stool, the fact that I'm not on the ground is by no means anything that I'm doing right now, is it? It's entirely up to what this is doing, what this is and what it does. So if this stool is representative of Christ, to say I put my faith in Christ, I'm trusting Christ to be my Savior. I'm, I'm, I'm resting on Christ. I'm not doing anything. Christ is doing all the work. Right? Now, what part of my coming to this stool and sitting on it was faith? Was it the part where I sat? Not really, because that's, that's a work on my part. <laughs> right? Faith was exercised in the sitting. Faith occurred in me believing that this stool will do what this stool says it'll do. That's faith. It's just me having confidence that this stool will hold. It's not a work on my part. It's entirely my belief in this to do the work. And by sitting, I am confidently throwing myself, if you will, on the strength of another. That's not a work, it's trust. That's what we need to understand about faith. Faith is complete trust in the Savior to be the Savior. And so Jesus can say to this woman, as she trusts that if she just can touch him, if she could be near him, he could fix her problem. He could heal her. He could save her. He says, your faith has made you well. Now, did the faith actually make her well? No, Jesus made her well, right? But it was her belief in him that he's pointing to, her confidence in him. And he can say to her, go in peace. That's what faith is. I told you I wanted you to also see its opposite as we read through the text. And the opposite of faith is fear. The opposite of faith. And we don't just see it here in the second half of the chapter, but we saw it in the first half as well. Because we see in fear the disinterested, the uncommitted, and the distracted soils. Fear is lack of confidence in the Savior. Fear is, we're going to die. Help, save us, right? Like, without the confidence that he's going to be able to do it. It's the cares of this world coming along and causing me to say, I don't know if I can trust this Savior to be sufficient. So what is fear? It is the fight or flight mentality that i got to take control of this myself. 
We see it in the, 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 the herdsmen, right? Like they see this power and that power scares them. The power isn't compelling to them. It's scary to them. What does this power mean for who we are? And they run away. It's the opposite of faith. It's the flight or fight tendency to take control. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Have the confidence to believe who I am and what I'll do. And it's those in responding who have truly heard. So the gift of hearing is attached to the gift of faith. Do not fear, only believe, and you will be well. And I think as I, as I read through chapter 8 and meditate on it, we see how all of this begins to fit together. Really hearing, it's faith. It's a gift. It's a mystery. It's all him. Something that the Apostle Paul stitches together, I think, beautifully for us in Ephesians chapter 2. And I don't have this to put on the screen for you. At least I don't think I do. But you can flip there. And I want to encourage you to do it. If you've got that pew Bible, it's on page 976. Ephesians 2. If you look at the beginning of Ephesians 2, Paul is talking here about the state of human hearts apart from Christ, and he's talking about how the soil of our hearts is, is hard. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's now talking to believers, but you once walked in this way, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So he's talking about the devil who comes to snatch the seed, right? And he's saying you're all under that power, you're all under that influence, and you're following it in the deadness of your hearts. But look down at verse 8. He says then, for by grace... You have been saved through faith. God has given you a gift. In the midst of your unbelief, he's granted you the ability to have confidence to sit on that stool of Christ and to trust him, and it's all grace. It's all grace. This is not your own doing, he says. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then... He talks about the bearing of fruit that comes with the one who by faith has been given a new heart. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, just recapping all of this, our salvation is a wonderful mystery of grace. God gives the gift for some to hear 
And when we hear, we respond. And our response is simply the trust of faith. And it's evidenced by the fruit that we produce, which produces a life of obedience to him, continual trust in him, perseverance in him, the opposite of fear, which would say, I need to pull back and do this on my own. That's chapter 8. So what's the application for us? You know what the application for you if you're a believer is? It is simply this. Thankful worship. Thankful worship. If you belong to Christ, you have been given a gift that you didn't deserve faith to believe in the one who could save and heal you. And and if you're like me and you understand the nature of this gift of grace that you've been given, you might ask this question and you should ask this question. Why me? Why me? And you know what my answer to that is? I have no idea. I have no idea. Praise God. Praise God. That's your application, believer. Praise God. What's the application for the non believer? think this application is for those of us who believe pray for them pray for them that God would grant them ears to hear and eyes to see and and I I don't know the, the mystery of how all this works I don't know the mystery of how the 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 light bulb begins to go off for us to begin to actually hear and see but but I know that for some of us, God can, can, can begin to sort of turn up the dimmers even now in your lives where you're hearing this and you haven't believed. But now you're beginning to believe. Or maybe you're wrestling with this and you're, you're just, you're, you're on the fence, you're back and forth, you're struggling, and you're wondering... I, you know, I, 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 I want to investigate this. I, I think I believe sometimes, but I, but I keep seeing this, this lack of fruit in my life. I don't know how it works. Here's what I know. Keep asking God for ears to hear. And know this confidently to everyone, everyone whom he has chosen to give this gift, it will be given. And you can say, upon receipt, praise God. And for those of us who have heard and are grateful followers of Jesus, there's one other application for us to consider when it comes to the unbelievers in our lives. Not only do we keep praying for them, but we need to keep spreading seed. 
Remember what he says back here in, in the parable of the lampstand, verse 18. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Who lit your light? Christ did. Don't put it under a bed. Don't hide it under a basket. He lit your light to be seen. You're a seed spreader now. Keep sharing. Keep tossing. Keep trusting. Scatter broadly. Trust the Spirit to take root where it will take root and pray and pray and praise God he'll bear fruit. Salvation is a wonderful mystery of grace. We get an opportunity to come before this table and partake of another wonderful mystery of God's grace. That stool, in my illustration, represents Christ. And what Christ has done for us to secure our salvation, the work that he did, was he lived the perfect, obedient life before the Father. He did not sin. He could not, in this sense, he is fully God. but he's also fully human. So he came for us to rescue us, and he rescued us by dying for us. His work on the cross, his body broken, his blood spilled, was the Son of God bearing the wrath of God for human sin so that his righteousness could be transferred and imputed and counted as yours and mine when we by faith come and rest on his work so would you guys come back up if you've trusted Jesus by faith if he's given you ears to hear this is a table for you to come to and we get to come to it together to be reminded of the wonderful mystery of grace. We take these elements as symbolic of his broken body and his shed blood, and yet there is a mysterious element involved. When we take together as the body of Christ, he says he's with us. So while these are mere symbols, there's a mystery, there's a presence of God here among us as the body of Christ as he enlivens our hearts again to thankfully worship him by uniting with his death and celebrating his finished work. So as we begin to sing, would you believers in Christ come forward, take the cups back to your seats at the end of the song we'll take communion together. If you're not a believer, this table is not for you, at least not yet, but we're praying for you to have ears to hear.